How can we experience peace in our heart that exceeds any understanding, anything that we can understand? Is it even possible to have that kind of peace, which is so beyond understanding? So I'm going to start by reading from um, Philippians 4, verse 4 to 7. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I think peace is something we all want. It's something we all strive for. I know I sometimes say to Gareth, I just feel like unsettled in my heart. It's a horrible feeling when you don't feel peaceful. And it's something that we strive for, the world strives for. We all want to know that peaceful feeling. If you Google it, there's lots of different ways the world are striving to find peace. Maybe it's meditation or yoga, going out in nature, decluttering your house, going on a holiday. Those are all things that can help you feel peaceful, but none of those things are going to give you lasting peace. Are we even looking in the right place if we're Googling? <laughs> we're going to look at two things from Scripture, from the Scripture I've just read, that encourages us to do this, that'll give us peace that surpasses all understanding. Sounds appealing, doesn't it? <laughs> so the first thing is to rejoice in the Lord always. How do we do this? How do we always rejoice in the Lord? How do we rejoice when first thing in the morning you walk into the kitchen, it's flooded, you're late for work? <laughs> I don't feel like rejoicing in anything right then. Or you get an unexpected bill and there's no money to pay for it. How do you rejoice in that situation? Or maybe you hear some really tragic news that really rocks your world, rocks you to the core of your being. How do you rejoice in God then? I even think that is joy even appropriate in some of those situations? How can you say I'm joyful when you've heard that somebody you love has just died? Yet Scripture urges us to rejoice always. Not only in the good times when the sun's shining, the birds are tweeting and everything's wonderful, but also in the storms when it feels like your house is going to fall down, that the wind is blowing all around you, when you're terrified and you're filled with fear, how do you rejoice in God then? The key is that we rejoice in God and not in our circumstances. We can always rejoice in Jesus because Jesus doesn't change. Our circumstances change all the time. Something can happen tomorrow that can just completely rock your world. We can't put our joy in those things. Our joy has to be in Jesus so it all depends on what we're finding our joy in. If we find our joy in things that can change and disappear, it's going to be a very rocky road ahead. This isn't to say that we don't find joy in things like our spouse and our children, our jobs, things that we do, hobbies. God's given us those things to enjoy. But if that's where we're putting all our joy and hoping to find all our joy in, we're going to be disappointed. We can't rely on those things to, to give us true joy. Joy is one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. It's one of the things that the Holy Spirit produces in our lives. 
So think about a fruit tree. A fruit tree produces fruit. It needs the right conditions to produce fruit, okay? So if, it, if you want your fruit tree to flourish, it's going to naturally produce fruit if it is in the right conditions. And it's the same with us. And I can guarantee you, if you leave here today and you just decide, right, that's it. I'm just going to be a more joyful person. I'm going to just try really hard and I'm going to be joyful. I can guarantee you're going to fail. We all will because we can't do it on our own. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in us. It's the work of the Holy Spirit that produces joy in our life. It naturally comes. You know, you don't see an apple tree trying really hard to pop out apples. It just naturally does it. And it's the same with us. The Holy Spirit just naturally produces joy in us. So how does this happen? So just like a fruit tree needs the right amount of water and sunlight and nutrients and whatever else it needs to grow and produce fruit, we need the right conditions to grow and to be able to produce joy. As we've all experienced, when you become a Christian, you don't automatically just become a joyful person. I'm sure you all can think of somebody, people that you know that are Christians that are anything but joyful. But it's as we spend time with Jesus and who he is kind of rubs off on us. His heart, who he is. It's like, you know, when you spend a lot of time with friends, I see that with my kids, and I'm sure you've experienced that yourself. When you spend a lot of time with somebody, their ways and stuff can rub off on you, whether it's good or bad. And it's the same with Jesus. If we spend time with Jesus, the way he is rubs off on us. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit. So what does spending time with Jesus actually look like? So it's being in two places at once. Now, that's not weird. It means that we're aware of his presence. Now, we can't just go and sit in our rooms or go somewhere all day and just kind of be with Jesus. You have to live your life. You have to go to work. You have to do all the things that you do every day. But in doing those things, we can be aware of Jesus' presence with us. Um, through the day, talking to him, when difficult things happen, say, like, Lord Jesus, that was really hard. How do I deal with that? Please help me. Or sharing the joys that happen in your day and telling him, thank you, that was amazing. Jesus' heart for you is more loving and kind than you will ever be able to fathom. When he sees you struggling, he doesn't think, oh, you know, come on, I've given you everything. What's the problem? His heart bursts with compassion for you. He loves you so much. When you're feeling weak or, or you're struggling, his heart, his heart bursts for you, and he wants to come to you, wants to help you. So let him in. Be aware of him. Don't believe the lie that Jesus is disappointed by your weakness. Even this morning, I did something and I was like, oh, why did I do that? And I was irritated with myself. And the immediate natural thought that comes into my mind is, I've disappointed Jesus. And actually, yes, but in that disappointment that I feel, he sees my weakness and he's drawn to that weakness and he wants to help me in that weakness. And that is why he died for me and for you. 
So being aware of His presence through the day is something we need to practice. There's so many things that if you want to get better at something, you've got to practice. And it's the same with being aware of Jesus' presence. You've got to practice being aware. I I remember at one point putting an alarm on my phone every hour. So I'd be like, oh yeah, remember Jesus is with you. Um, You know, whatever it takes to to just remind yourself that Jesus is with you all the time. I was sitting down there in worship and thinking, oh, I'm so nervous. And I just imagined Jesus standing here with me, next to me with his arm around me saying, it's okay, you can do this. And that's what he's doing with you every single day, wherever you are, whatever you're doing. So it's not something that comes naturally to us. I'm a grade one teacher, and when I walk into the classroom in the morning, I know that it is going to be chaos from when I walk in until when I leave. And often, I'll read my Bible in the morning, and I pray, and I'm like, God, please help me to remember your presence. And then I get home in the afternoon, and I think, sure, didn't cross my mind once, (laughs) because it was just chaos. Um, So... It is difficult sometimes to be aware of Jesus' presence because we get caught up in the busyness of the day and what's happening around us, but we can pray and ask the Holy Spirit to remind us that He's with us and to remind remind us of His presence every day. Spending time with Jesus is reading His Word. What a gift that we have God's words to us that we can read at any time. What an amazing gift to us. Now, the devil knows that in this book are all the things that we need to be able to live a victorious life, and he does not want us to know those things. So it's no wonder that reading our Bibles amongst Christians is probably one of the hardest things to do and maybe one of the most neglected practices because the devil is gunning for you to make sure that you don't read all these promises that God's given you and that you don't believe what he's given you. He wants you to be, weak, to be weak. He doesn't want you to know all that stuff. So he's making sure that reading your Bible is really difficult and that you're not going to get it and he's going to distract you. He's also going to constantly whisper lies into your ears because he doesn't want you to believe the truth about who God is. And we believe these lies You know, you just read on Instagram or Twitter, little things that sound so good, and sometimes they're just slightly off. They're just slightly not actually what God's saying, not quite what the Bible says. Sounds good, so we all think, oh, that sounds wonderful, but actually it's just kind of slightly off, and we need to be careful of those things, and we're not going to know what those slight things are if we're not reading our Bibles. So I want to urge you this year to make reading your Bible priority. A number of years ago, I felt quite disappointed in myself at the amount of Bible reading I was doing. And I knew it was important, but I just kind of never seemed to find the time. And then when I did, I was like, oh, well, that was okay. And it felt like a bit of a chore. And I kind of thought, Ugh, you know, it's hard work. It just felt like hard work. Um, And when I did it, I felt good, I could tick it off, and when I didn't, I felt defeated and I felt bad. It didn't always bring me a great amount of joy. There were moments when I felt God speak to me, but generally it just was kind of a chore and it felt like really hard work. Anyway, I was reading a blog that a group of ladies had written together, and one of the things this group of ladies had decided, they were going to start this thing called the 5 a.m. club. 
and they weren't happy with how little they were reading their Bibles, and so they decided together they were going to start reading their Bibles at 5 o'clock every morning. And I thought, ooh, 5 o'clock? I don't want to get up at 5 o'clock. I'm not a morning person. Anyway, I felt a bit challenged because I just thought, yes, group of ladies who've identified where they want to grow, and they're doing something about it. So I thought, okay, I'm going to try this. Now, I was definitely not a morning person, and so it was quite a big decision. (laughs) So I decided if I'm going to get up, I'm going to have to put my alarm on the other side of my room, because otherwise I'm just going to turn it off and roll back over. So I did put it on the other side of my room. I had to get up, I had to turn it off, and I could not get back into bed. There were mornings when I did get back into bed, but I tried not to. Now, I've been doing this for years, and the reason I'm telling you this is not so that you say, wow, you're amazing. That's such a good thing that you've done. That's not what I'm trying to get at here. I want to encourage and urge you to make some drastic plan. That was drastic for me, getting up at five. Now, I'm not saying you must do the same. I don't know what your life looks like, but make some decision that you're going to read your Bible more regularly. There are days when I get up, and quite honestly, I think, okay. I remember actually Gareth saying once, reading your Bible is a bit like eating breakfast. You have to do it every day. If you want to be big, you know, I was about to say big and strong. That's what I told my little children. If you want to be big and strong, you've got to eat your breakfast. If you want to be big and strong in God, you've got to read your Bible. But it's the same with eating breakfast. Some mornings, I don't feel like eating breakfast, And some mornings I eat breakfast and I think, oh, that wasn't very nice. And it's the same with reading your Bible. Some mornings you read it and you think, wow. Other mornings you read it and think, jeepers, that was crazy. You know, and I don't really understand that. But you don't stop eating breakfast because you didn't like it that morning. You don't stop reading your Bible because you didn't like what it said. Or you didn't understand what it said. I can honestly say that I absolutely love reading my Bible now. And that is because I've just kept going. And that's not something that I've kind of, that love, I don't think is something that I've done. That's something that the Holy Spirit's given me because I've just constantly and consistently continued to read it every day. Well, it hasn't been every day, but most days. (laughs) And it's something that can even be testament to that. And I never used to enjoy that, but I do now. Doesn't mean it's always been easy. Sometimes it feels like just words on a page, but that's okay. Just come back the next day, and the next day, and the next day, and you won't regret it. My love for Jesus has definitely grown through doing this. I can say that I honestly just love Jesus and love his word so much. And that's something that the Holy Spirit's done in me. And my desire now is I want to please Him. I want to know Him more. We were listening to that, singing that one song about open my eyes to see who you are. Reveal yourself to me. If you sang that this morning with all your heart, then read your Bible this week and spend time with Jesus so that He can reveal Himself to you through His Word. Um, I came across this great quote by John Piper. It says, Joy is a feeling or emotion in the soul produced by the work of the Holy Spirit who causes us to see the beauty of Jesus Christ in His Word and His works. So it's not you who's seeing the stuff in the Bible. 
As you open the Bible, the Holy Spirit's there, and he's showing you the beauty of Jesus in his word. So what did this all start with? It just started with a simple choice. I'm going to do that. I'm going to choose to do that. I'm going to make a decision, and I'm going to do that. So much of what happens in our lives is actually from choices we've made. I tell my kids when they walk into the classroom in the morning, I say, okay, because, I mean, you can imagine, you know children, they're naughty. (laughs) They don't want to sit in a desk all day and listen to me. You have a choice when you walk in here today. You can choose to listen and do the right thing, or you can choose to not listen to me and do your own thing. You choose what kind of day that's going to be, (laughs) because I'm telling you if you choose the other choice, it's going to be a hard day for you. (laughs) So, so much of what happens in our lives is choices we've made. But don't worry if you've been making bad choices, because that's why Jesus died for you, to forgive you from all that. And he gives you a fresh start. I love New Year's. It's a fresh start, a new new year. And how quickly do we break those resolutions we make? I had one resolution this year, to be on time for everything. The first thing I had to beat, I was three minutes late. (laughs) So, are you making choices to know Jesus better, or are you you choosing to keep Jesus in a Sunday morning box? If something, nothing better comes up, then I'll go to church. So, what is your choice? Are you going to know Jesus better, or are you going to keep him in a box for Sunday? You're not going to experience joy in your heart if that's what you do. You just won't. If you don't make a decision to make Jesus central in your life, you're not going to experience that joy that surpasses all understanding. I can guarantee you. He loves you more than you know. His love for you is bursting out of his heart. He died for you. But he wants you to want it. You have to want it. Do you want to experience a joy in your heart that isn't rocked by your circumstances? sure everybody would say, absolutely. Then you need to make a decision. Make a decision today to practice his presence, just this week. And then next Sunday, you can make another decision for the next week. And just keep making that decision. Keep making that choice to spend time reading his words. Fill your heart and your mind with truth, and then you'll be able to identify the lies of the enemy Some of us are so plagued by the lies of the enemy because we don't know the truth. Charles Spurgeon says, get alone with Jesus and he will comfort your hearts and restore your weary souls. It's so tempting when you feel weary and down to just lie on the couch and turn Netflix on. Oh, I'm a a big sucker for that. Or to do whatever, go shopping, eat lots of chocolates, whatever. Whatever makes you feel better for the short little bit when you're feeling weary. But get alone with Jesus. Jesus will give you comfort for your heart and restore your weary soul. The thing with reading your Bible, though, is that it brings you to another choice. Another decision. Am I going to believe and obey all it says? Or am I going to just pick and choose what I like and what feels acceptable to me? I've been listening to an amazing podcast um, um, by a lady called Elizabeth Elliot. I know some of you have been listening. 
Um, she's amazing. I can't actually recommend it highly enough. If you want me to send you a link or something, then just come talk to me afterwards. And the thing that stood out for me with a lot of what she was saying was a simple encouragement to trust and obey Jesus, to just make a decision to trust him and to obey everything he says. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. So in John 14, it says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate or helper who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. To obey, we have to trust. Children are taught to obey their parents, hopefully. It's going to be very hard for those children to obey their parents if they don't trust their parents. I was just remembering when I was preparing a kind of scenario when our kids were growing up and learning to swim. Gareth did the teaching. <laughs> he taught them to swim. It was too much for me. Um, so what would happen? They would stand on the steps of the pool, and he'd stand a few steps back, and he'd say, okay, swim to me. I'm standing on the side going, my child can't swim. They're going to drown. They had to trust him that when they launched themselves into the water, if they started sinking, he was going to catch them. And they did do it. They did launch themselves into the water because they knew dad was right there and dad's going to catch me. It was obviously easier for some of the kids than others because some are more nervous. Now, sometimes he would allow them to start sinking because he wanted them to be able to learn to start getting themselves out of that and to swim. But it would only be for a moment, and then he'd catch them. Now, I was standing on the side freaking out. I'm like, catch them! Why aren't you catching them? They're sinking. So I also had to trust him, because if I just stepped in and said, no, this is ridiculous, I'm taking them out, I'm not letting you do this anymore, they would have never learned to swim. So do you trust God? Now, it's easy to say, yes, of course I trust God. But do you really, really trust him? To trust him, you have to believe that everything that he says about himself is true. So everything that he says about himself, do you believe that to be true? Do you believe he's good? Even when something terrible happens and you think, golly, do you still believe he's good? Do you believe he's kind? If you aren't reading your Bible, how are you going to even know what he says about himself. It's very difficult to trust somebody that you don't know very well. We always tell children, don't trust strangers. Don't go near somebody you don't know. Don't accept sweeties. Don't get in somebody's car. You can't trust somebody you don't know. Do you feel like you really know Jesus? If you just know him kind of vaguely, be very hard to trust him. As you get to know him, he's going to reveal your heart, his heart to you, and you're going to come across a Jesus, a person who loves you so much and is so gentle and so kind, more gentle and kind than anybody you've ever met. I just love the attribute of kindness. It's just we're all touched by kindness. When somebody does something little for us that's kind, it just warms your heart. I mean, you know, 
You see these things on the internet where they kind of pass on kindness. It always brings tears to my eyes. You see these people like blessed by somebody's unexpected kindness. That's just a, a drop in the ocean of what Jesus is like. So I made another decision. I'm going to get up and read my Bible, and I'm going to believe everything it says. I'm going to believe it all to be true, and I'm going to show my love to Jesus by obeying him and doing everything he asks me to do. Now, that's not an easy task here, but it's important to make that decision and to make that decision before a crisis hits, because when you've been hit by a crisis, it's very hard to see clearly, because all you see is your pain and your grief, or your sadness, or your anger. And on top of that, you've got the devil shouting lies at you. Jesus isn't good. He said he's good and kind. Really? Look at this. Do you really believe that? In our society, rules can be seen as negative. Okay, I think we live in a pretty law lawless society. People are breaking rules. I mean, you could just drive on the road for a bit and you see that. But I think naturally kind of want to break rules, some people more than others. We bulk at rules. But why are they there? They're there to protect us. If there were no rules on the road, it's an inconceivable picture. <laughs> the Christian life is not about a set of rules, but God has given us commands to obey because He knows us and He made us. So surely he would know what's good for us. Now, we think we know what's best for us. I think we as humans have a far too inflated view of ourselves. And we think we are far more important than we really are. The God who made me to tell the creator of the universe, the God who made you and I, who are we to tell him that we know better. I mean, just think about it for a minute. God made you. Now, I chipped my tooth, yes, Friday. Now, I don't know what's going on in there, but it's scratching my tongue and it's really sore. I don't know what's happening in there. He knows because he made me. You might be feeling a pain somewhere and you think, oh, I don't know what that is. He knows he made you. He knows how you work. He knows everything about you. And then we turn around and say, no, I know better. Really? ludicrous. But we actually do it every day, don't we? Every time we choose to do something our way rather than God's way, we're basically saying to him, sorry, but I think I know better here. And much of the time we justify actions, don't we? We know kind of, well, God says this, I'm going to do this because, well, whatever our reasons are. Let's look at an example. In Hebrews 10, it says, Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. It's God's desire that we meet together as Christians, as a church, on Sundays, in our community groups, in our trios. It's what God wants. It's what he commands of us. But why? Why would he want us to do that? Because he knows that we need each other. He knows that we get battered and bruised out there. That the devil's gunning for us and trying to discourage us and make us feel weak and terrible. 
You can't walk the Christian life on your own. It's impossible. We all need each other to encourage each other, to correct each other when we're wrong, to spur each other on, to love Jesus more. Are you obeying him in this area of your life? Or are you kind of attending when it fits your schedule? Now, this isn't something God wants us to do just because we're Christians. He knows how vital it is for us, and that's why he commands us to do He's not like that at all. He loves us so much so that when he asks us to do something, it's because he knows what's good for us. So don't bulk at his commandments. Don't bulk at the things that he tells you to do. They're for your own good. Choose to obey him. I can guarantee you, you won't regret it. There are not many guarantees in life, are there? Even when you get a guarantee on something and it breaks the day after the guarantee. But I can guarantee you that if you choose to obey him and to do everything that he says, you will never, ever regret it. That's not meaning it's going to be easy, but I promise you, you won't regret it. Now, the most difficult thing is to keep trusting him and staying on the path of obedience when it seems like everything is going wrong and awful things happen to us. But this is exactly the time when you've got to stay on that path. Stay obeying him and trusting him. You have to decide when things are good that you're going to obey and trust him even when it's bad. When my kids started sinking, when he kind of, Gareth, let them sink a bit to try and get them to swim on their own, I'm sure for a split second, because that's all it would have been, they thought, where is he? Why isn't he catching me? And then he would caught them. Have you ever thought that about God? I've done what he's asked. I've obeyed him. Why is this happening? Why, why, why? Oh, I'm sure you've all <laughs> asked God why. I know I have countless times. Why? It doesn't make any sense. Why would you do that? Why would you allow that? Why? Where are you? Do you even love me? Do you even care? Surely you don't care. If you're allowing this to happen, how can you care about me? It's in these times that we have to hold on to his promises and believe that what he says is true. my place. <laughs> I want to stand before Jesus one day and for him to look at me and say, well done. Don't you want that? Who cares what somebody next to you thinks of you, actually? I was caring, sitting there thinking, oh gosh, Gareth's putting this thing on, on my hair, he's probably standing in every which way. So what? So what whatever everybody else thinks about you? And I'm speaking to myself, yeah. I care far too much what people think about me. But actually, when I think about it, who cares? What I need to care about is what Jesus thinks. And that one day when I stand before him, he's going to say, oh, well done. I'm so proud of you. You trusted me and you obeyed me. You did the things I planned for you to do. Well done. That's a motivation like no other. Keep your eyes fixed on that, not on everything around you. We get so distracted by the things that we want, the things that we think we need, the things that we want to do. 
we end up putting those things first instead of putting them onto what is Jesus going to think? Put him first in your life. You won't regret it. So the way you put him first is by reading your Bible, being in community, trusting and obeying him. And then you will know a joy in your heart and be able to rejoice in him even when things are tough. The second thing to a peaceful heart is do not worry about anything. <laughs> really? Scripture tells us, don't worry. I have a problem with worrying, and I can guarantee every one of you worry about things, some of us more than others. Gareth said to our kids when he was teaching them to swim, don't worry, I'll catch you. He had good reason to say that because he knew he was going to catch them. Even if for a moment they felt, oh, where is he? He knew he was going to catch them. Don't worry, it's okay. It's the same with God. Why would he tell us not to worry if he didn't have good reason to say that? He's got everything sorted. He hasn't got things out of control. When we look at our lives and think, oh my gosh, it just feels like everything's out of control. Everything's just a mess. I don't know what's going on. I just feel confused. God's not confused. He's not worried. He's got it all sorted and all planned out. He knows all things, and he knows how everything's going to fit together, even the hardships in your life. This is another decision I made. I'm not going to worry. <laughs> when I feel myself getting into a worry cycle, which is often, I have to consciously think and speak to myself. I can't do anything about this. I read this quote once. It said, worrying is like rocking on a rocking chair. You just go back and forth, but you don't go anywhere. It doesn't help. You're not doing anything to help by worrying. But when I start thinking about the fact that I have got the God of the universe at my side, that's why I don't have to worry. The God of the universe is with me, and he has got everything in control. He's watching over me, and he's helping me. That puts the worrisome things back in their place. And it puts my focus back on Jesus. It puts him back in the center. It puts those things to the side, which are distracting me and making me stressing out. And it puts my eyes back on Jesus. If you don't replace all those worrying thoughts with something, they're just going to keep coming back. I love the New Living Translation um, from this passage that I read at the beginning from Philippians. It says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. So what do you substitute your worrying with? Substitute it with praying. Talk to Jesus. Tell Him what you need. He actually already knows. But he wants you to tell him, because that's part of a relationship, isn't it? If I never told Gareth what I needed, what kind of a marriage would that be? 
and then trust him. I read this quote from John Piper on Twitter, and it's by a guy called John Powell. It says, worry is a mild form of atheism. Now, this really hit me because it's quite a powerful quote. Because an atheist doesn't believe in God. Am I believing that God is the sovereign ruler over all the earth and that he's able to help me, provide for me, and protect me? Or does that not even come into my thinking when anxious thoughts overwhelm me? You can't control what thoughts come into your head. It's impossible. But you can control what you do with those thoughts. Now, the reason I'm telling you that I read that on Twitter was because I was astounded at the backlash that John Piper got for posting this quote. The comments were harsh and scathing. And I really believe that this is because worry and anxiety have become something of a badge, carry, and a label we give ourselves, a burden that we carry and accept rather than fight against. Mental health has become very popular, very popular idea. But the Bible's had the answer all along. Don't accept your anxiety and your worry as, well, that's just, that's just who I am. No. You're accepting far less than that Jesus wants you to have. Give your anxiety, give your worry to Jesus. He can actually do something about it. He can comfort you. He can help you. Jesus told us not to worry because he sees the big picture. He sees how all these things in our lives are going to fit together. In Matthew 6, Jesus speaks about worry. And I just, I'm just going to read this whole passage because it's just so amazing. So Jesus says, That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wild flowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. So why do you have so little faith? Don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What are we going to wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. This is why we have to read our Bibles. He has an assurance that your Father is going to look after you. If you're not reading it, you're not even knowing these assurances. And then we can thank him for all he's done for us. Thankfulness is a way of reminding us 
of the good things that God's done for us. A few years ago, I started writing in a little book all the things that I was thankful for. And it's actually been such a good practice because it's helped me to focus on the good things that God's done and to take my mind off the things that are hard and the things that I've struggled with. I've sat down some mornings and thought about the previous day and thought, okay, what can I thank God for in that day? And sometimes I've really got to think because it was maybe a really hard day. But then you're thinking about the right thing. So let's go back to the question we started with. How can we experience peace that surpasses all understanding, exceeds our understanding? Firstly, we find our joy in Jesus by getting to know Him and spending time with Him, by reading our Bible and making except to trust Him and to obey everything that it says. Accepting that God is in control of everything that happens in our lives and believing that He is loving, that He is kind, kind of settles your heart. I think we have to settle in our hearts that whatever He gives, good or bad, and whatever He takes, good or bad, we accept. and We don't fight against it. It's nothing we can do. So now that we can change, but are you going to just accept and not fight him? Make a decision not to worry. Rather trust him. Then the peace of God, which exceeds our understanding, will guard your hearts and minds. So it just doesn't just, we don't just get peace. We get peace for a reason, so that our hearts and our minds are guarded. The devil is like a prowling lion looking for somebody to devour, especially somebody who loves Jesus, his biggest enemy. He wants to get into your heart, and he wants to make sure that you are not burning hot for Jesus. He wants to get into your mind and convince you that Jesus is not good, that he's not kind, that he doesn't really love you. So I want, you to, I want to urge you, Make a decision to do these things this year so that you can have peace as a safeguard against the devil who would love nothing better than to see you weak and distant from God. Okay, we're going to do communion now. So if you'd like to go and get a little cup and the biscuit and then just come back to your seats.
And when you get back to your seat, let's just close our eyes for a minute. And I want you to just think about what I've been saying. And I'm sure there's different things that have spoken to different people today. So I want, to, I want you to think about the thing that the Holy Spirit's speaking to you about today. What is He urging you to do? What decision is He urging you to make? Just for a moment, just talk to Him about that. Lord Jesus, I thank you that your love for us is just so much bigger than we can ever even fathom. I thank you that your heart for us is loving and kind, that you act gently towards us, Lord. I thank you, Jesus, that we can get to know you, that we can have the privilege of spending time with you. Thank you for your amazing word that you give us to help us. And I thank you that you're with us all the time. And I just pray, Lord Jesus, as we make decisions in our hearts today, Lord, you would, you would help us, Lord Jesus, to go out from here to, to make a decision to, to follow you and to put you central in our lives, Lord. So as I was saying just now about choices, we've all made choices that we know weren't very good. But that is why Jesus died for us. That's why he shed his blood. That's why his body was broken and bruised. So that you can come to him and you can say, Jesus, I'm so sorry. And he says, that's why I died. That's why I suffered. That's why I came and humbled myself and became a man for you. So that you could come to me and I could give you new lease on life. So let's take this and just remember what Jesus has done for us. So, um, this is amazing. Uh, we, uh, he, uh, Nadine just spoke about a peace that surpasses understanding. I'm going to call on Cindy to come um, and, and lead us on that one song that we sang uh, first, uh, uh, first time. So, the thing is, with Jesus, you come to him knowing that you, you yourself, you can't do things. You can't uh, proceed with life when you have so much of things to go through. So Jesus is the...